I say, flip this bulletin back over, and we are in week four of clean living. Before we go any further, we've been talking about the book of Daniel, so we've heard from Pastor Steve, then last week we heard from Pastor Bob. Uh, let's give honor where honor is due. Let's have a round of applause for Pastor Bob, especially the Limerick campus. Man, you guys are blessed and lucky to have him as your campus pastor because he's an awesome dude. I don't know if you know this about Bob, but Bob is a wealth of information that any inquisitive person would want to know. He knows about things like fish from a scientific perspective because he is a scientist. He also knows about all sorts of animals and highway construction, uh, and he has very manly sayings. So uh, if you're like me and you get to work with him every day, it's been a treat. So I can just kind of pepper him with questions about things like the state bird of Iowa and the state bird of Pennsylvania. And he just knows this stuff. I don't even have to go to my phone. Bob knows it. And Bob did an excellent job telling us the story of the fiery furnace. So if you're at the Limerick campus, if you see him, just think of some questions for him that have to do with anything. And then he will be happy to answer them after the church experience today. I love you, Pastor Bob. My name is John. I'm going to kind of be your tour guide for uh, the closing story of Daniel. See, we've been talking about what it's like uh, to live and thrive in a culture that is not our own, uh, in a culture like the one Daniel was in that was pretty evil. But I think we have good news today. How many guys would say, I think the church, we might not know it, uh, it might be a little bit subversive, that we have a corner on the market of good news before we do anything, let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. That's where we're going today. If you don't have a Bible, it's on your bulletin. It's right there in front of you. If you use the app, you open the app, we'll go to Daniel chapter 6, the very end of the chapter. It's good to see where it wraps up. And this is what King Darius said. He's the king of the empire. King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth. He said this, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. I'm going to say that again. He says that this God, he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Let's bow our heads and pray together. God, I ask that you talk to us through the story of Daniel. From your servant and your word, we believe that every word is true, that you put it there for a reason, that everyone here is in this room or at one of our campuses for a very specific purpose, that we hear from your word. I pray that I don't get in the way of it, but it would go back uh, very clearly, and your word says when it goes out, it never returns back empty. God, we thank you for the good weather today. We pray against Satan because that was his weather the last couple days. We stand against him and the effects of winter and late fall, because we know that it's not from you. And we beseech you for 10 months of summer, one month of fall, and one month of spring. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, you can clap for that, because winters are awful here. They are awful. They get more awful. When I was a little kid, I loved them. Now I hate them. Now I get depressed. So a day like yesterday, we're stuck inside. I'm like, this is awful. Is this like a sign of things to come? I need the sun. So we're talking about Daniel, and Daniel in the lion's den is one of my favorite stories from the Bible. I don't want to take it for granted that you know that story. Maybe a lot of you don't know that story, and I think that's great. I grew up in a pastor's home, so uh, I would hear these stories all the time. I'd hear them in Sunday school, and this would be one of the stories that we had something called a flannel board. Who's with me at all of our campus at Limerick Plymouth Meeting? Who knows what a flannel board is? Uh, if you don't, the Bible calls you blessed. Uh, 
Okay, the flannel board is a literal board like that. It sits on, uh, is that a tripod? Uh, the board is flannel, most of the time green. Uh, it has characters and figures that are also made of flannel, hence the name, and they stick to the flannel board, and that's how you learn Bible stories. So you learn all kinds of cool stories like Daniel and the Lion's Den, um, Shadrach, Meshach, uh, and Abednego. That was last week. We learn um, Moses and the Red Sea or Moses and the Serpent, like all these kind of crazy stories. But my favorite stories from the Bible, uh, from the flannel board, would be how my dad explained it. Uh, it would be stories that have to do with animals. I love animals. I hate pets. I never, ever want a pet again. Ever. I hate pets. But I love animals and I love wild animals and I love big cats. Big cats. I have a, I have a pastor that filled up Yazoo. I say it's for my family that we have the membership. Uh, it's for me. I love it. I love to go to Big Cat Falls. Who's been to Big Cat Falls? It is the raddest thing because you go there, you can see tigers and lions, and now they have these uh, catwalks, literally catwalks that go right above your head. So mountain lions will be above your head. And if you're like me, like a giant dork, you will love this because there's giant cats and they're right above you. And if that barrier was not there, they would eat your face. They would rip you apart, but that's how it fools you because when the, the lions and the tigers, they go against the glass, you are so close to touching them. And you're like, I can see what happened to Siegfried and Roy. I can see why they'd want to play with these. I can see it. But if you touch them, they're going to kill you. That's why when people say, can you believe it? It happened. This person was doing tricks with a, <laughs> with a tiger and he got mauled and now he's dead. Yes, I believe it because that person is dumb because <laughs> the animal is wild. Uh, if you go on Netflix right now, there's a documentary about Grizzly Man. Who knows who Grizzly Man is? So I like all this stuff, so I make my little kids watch this stuff. Um, uh, they're, they're old enough. They're five and seven, uh, those ones. And the one of them's one, but he doesn't understand yet. So they, they make Grizzly Man be this courageous man. He lives with the grizzly bears, and then, oh, I'm dead. He died from the grizzly bears. He's not courageous. He's just dumb. You just take a gamble because animals are wild. And my favorite stories were about these wild animals. And the way my dad would explain kind of Daniel and the lines and her Samson. Samson was a guy in the Bible who was abnormally strong, gifted from God. Is that Samson came across this wild lion. Instead of the lion devouring him, he would rip the lion apart because God's strength came on him. So my dad would explain it. Uh, and hopefully he's honored in this, very matter of fact. Because my dad's preaching at this time right now at his church. So he would say things like this. Well... Samson, he ripped the line apart. I believe if I was in Africa, I had to rip the line apart too because God's spirit would come upon me. I could do the same thing. So then this is translated. Imagine hearing the story over and over and over again. So now you're like me. You're a 33-year-old man. And when you go to the mountains with your wife's family, you just boast to your father-in-law, who's a hunter. If, if we go out in the woods and a bear, if he's, if he's out there, I don't even need a gun. I don't, I don't, I don't even need a gun. I just need these. And God. How many of us have ever been in a position where we felt really uncomfortable? Let's say when you were a kid or a teenager, you ever moved schools. Come on, almost everyone's done that. I moved schools a bunch of times. It was weird every time, um, especially when kids make fun of you. Uh, how many of you ever, as an adult, have you ever relocated for a job? Had to start a new job, maybe move to a new area. I did that too. Uh, moved to a new area, didn't know anybody in a neighborhood, tried to make friends. It was awkward. Okay, now this question is for the guys at Limerick Campus, Plymouth Meeting. Uh, here, for us guys, how many of us, when like, we were like teenagers, like 14, 15, uh, how many of us were ever like captured from our parents' home? Our parents were probably killed. We were taken to become slaves. We were castrated. And then we were made to serve an evil king, and uh, they tried to make us worship their gods. Did that ever happen? 
No, it didn't. But that's the story we're talking about today. That is the story of Daniel from the Bible. We've been talking about this for the last four weeks. Daniel was a stranger in a strange land, made to be a slave to a kingdom whose values did not reflect his own, did not serve a God that was his God, that he was made to be a slave at. And we're going to talk about God's protection through it all. God's protection through it all. See, the very worst happened to Daniel. The worst things that you and I could imagine. He was taken, he was made a slave, his future was robbed from him. He was made to understand and know about gods that he had no desire worshiping to serve a king who subdued and killed his people. But in everything, God is protecting. But where we come to the story of Daniel, where we're going to land, is that Daniel was not a slave anymore. Daniel's older. Daniel is now in charge. So he went from a teenager who's a slave to an interpreter of dreams to now he's an older man, and now Daniel is in charge. In chapter 6 in Daniel... Daniel is now one of the chief governors of the entire empire, an empire that stretched from India to Greece and everything in between. That is a huge empire from India to Greece. Without modern communication, without anything like that, Daniel is third in that empire. And the king, whose name is King Darius, who said that verse that we talked about, Darius is now planning on making Daniel first, just underneath of him. This is what I want us to understand because it relates to us as a church, as a people who want to follow Christ in our culture, that God's protection always accomplishes God's purpose. At Limerick Campus, God's protection always accomplishes God's purpose. For right now, at this very moment, at this very day in our culture, this is going to make a lot of sense for us. Darius issued a decree giving honor, making his people and his entire empire from India to Greece give reverence to the God of the former slave Daniel because God's protection accomplishes God's purpose. Daniel understood this. Daniel understood that despite his hardship, I don't even want to call it hardship because that doesn't do it justice, despite his abuse, despite his subjugation, despite his, the worst thing that could ever happen, God was doing something remarkable, and he trusted in God's protection through it. Daniel's now an old man, and he's about to get thrown to the lions. See, most of this doesn't fit in your bulletin, so I'm just going to highlight some issues with it. How did Daniel find promotion, provide favor, find influence in that culture? Daniel understood the importance of his low position. If you're in a low position in this place today, and when I say low position, I don't want that to get uh, misconstrued or not understood. If you're in a low position, which means you're at rock bottom, you have nothing left, I would say, blessed are you because now God can use you. Now God can make something of your story. Now God can resurrect your marriage. Now God can break you from your addiction. Daniel understood the value of his low position. That translates directly with what Jesus said in Matthew. Jesus said this, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the first thing we understand is that God's protection provides God's protection provides. The first part of Daniel opens up with Daniel explaining how he even got to this position. Daniel understood that God is sovereign, which means God is over everything. He's never taken by surprise. God is sovereign over kings and kingdoms because he starts Daniel like this. Now at this time, the Lord gave the king of Israel into the hands of the king of Babylon. It's not that the king of Babylon did anything, but that he was allowed to do something because God allowed him. 
That speaks volumes to your life and my life. Think about the way that would be. Uh, Everything in your life, God is allowing for a purpose of drawing you closer to him, of writing himself into your story. Daniel understood what that meant, so he was grounded in his God, that his God was not just the God of tiny Israel. Israel was tiny. It was just a small state. Israel, in perspective, is the size of New Jersey, but it was even smaller then. It was a small nation that was just part of a great conglomerate, and Daniel understood that his God that he served was not just the God of his nation, of his people, of his race. He was the God of the universe. How much more should we hope, church, when we feel insignificant, when we feel like we're passed over for a promotion, when we feel like we don't get what we deserve? Do we grumble, do we complain, or do we put it in the hands of a God who says that he's the God of the universe? God's protection was provided to Daniel when he was in exile. God's protection was provided to Daniel when he was a slave. God's protection was provided to Daniel when he had to interpret a a, a wicked king's dreams. God's protection was provided to him when they mocked his God. And God's protection now is providing Daniel an opportunity to become excellent. Okay. There is a big elephant in the room that I'm just going to have to discuss. Not in the room, but in the room of our culture and our context. And if you go on social media, it's going to be all over the place. So I almost feel like I have to address it today, and I want to make sure I address it in understanding and address it in love. But I address it very clearly, because Daniel's culture in that context relates very clearly to our culture. So if any of you have not been under a rock, you understand that the Supreme Court reinterpreted the, the Constitution to redefine marriage as now between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Same-sex marriage is now legal in America. And God is still sovereign. And God still reigns. And God is still holy. And our salvation does not come from a government. And God's kingdom is not of this earth. Church, if we are freaking out about a decision like this, we have a very small and incorrect perception of who God is. And how that relates to our church is this. Our church has a door that is open wide to heterosexuals, homosexuals, adulterers, people who have been divorced, people who have been molested, people who molest, people who are addicted to drugs, people who are gossipers, people who are broken, and people who are lost because none of that sin is greater than Jesus. It is a sin. I will never waver on that. We will never waver on that as a church. If you're a Christian, God is very, very clear. Not just the Old Testament, because we can go to the Old Testament and say, well, you don't adhere to this law, this law, this law, and that's not what I'm preaching. God's word is clear in the New Testament and Old Testament. Look like it adds one continuous picture. You can't go to Romans as a Bible-believing Christian and affirm same-sex marriage, but you also can't affirm judging harshly people who don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus, so we shouldn't have the expectation. Our government, shocker, is not Jesus I don't, I don't want to scare you at Plymouth Meeting. Your salvation is not from the government of the United States of America. Break your yoke and understand your Savior. Break your yoke and understand your Savior. Our doors are open wide to everybody, and no sin is greater than the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. If he's the God who rescued and saved 2,500 years ago, he's a God who rescues and saves and can handle our sin today. 
You don't have to clap. There's so much more I can say about that, but I think it relates so closely to Daniel because Christians can either be in one camp or another camp. Here's the camp over here where we say, everyone is changing their Facebook picture to a rainbow, so I'm going to change mine to a cross, so there. (laughs) And I'm going to comment on anyone I know whose picture is a picture of a rainbow, and I'm going to give them verse by verse and line by line why they're wrong and why they're going to hell. And I'm going to look at pornography, and I'm going to get divorced, and I'm going to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and I'm going to gossip, and I'm going to do everything I'm not supposed to do and get in foolish arguments that really bear no consequence on someone's soul. Or you can go over here. You can say, well, people are going to think I'm mean, and I'm a bigot, I'm going to get names tossed at me, so I'm just going to bend, and I'm just going to break, and I'm just going to capitulate. These are my options, so I can either go one way and be really angry, or I can either be a total baby, okay? Either one is foolish, either one is sinful. There is a middle way that is God's way that believes in the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that says, you know what? People are full of all sorts of sin, you and me included. That's why we need grace. It's not by our works that are safe. So we're going to do everything we can short of sin to bring people close to Jesus. And then we're going to trust that he does what he actually says he does. And he's going to change their hearts and their actions are going to outflow out of his love. That's what we're going to do as a church. Can I get an amen in one of our houses today? Daniel's name was even significant. Daniel's name literally meant in Hebrew, and I don't want to say I know Hebrew because I definitely don't. I barely know English. But if, when I Google it, when I was looking at this, I used Google, and the Google said Daniel's name literally meant in Hebrew, God is my judge. Dan meaning judge, I meaning mine, and L, L throughout Hebrew always means judge. So literally his name meant God is my judge. There is no insignificant accident in the word of God. Even Daniel's name signified that he was there in this culture on purpose, just like our names, Christians, means little Christ, that we are signified as being very important to our culture for such a time as this. Not to bow, but to own up to the sake of our names. Daniel's name literally meant, God is my judge. We should keep that in mind. And Daniel subscribed to a philosophy of excellence. That's what the word says. Daniel was excellent. So before we get in a bully pulpit and complain about things are, I don't see that from Daniel. I can't put it there. I think God's word stands on its own. I never saw him complain. I never saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get tossed in the fiery furnace and be like, oh, I can't do it. Just do it. Do it. <laughs> that's, that's literally my favorite video of all time, Shia LaBeouf doing that. They didn't complain at all. Because there is no argument to excellence. There's just not. Any athlete on the world, it was a rainy day yesterday, so we went on Hulu and we watched the best of the NBA slam dunk competition. Who was with me? It is the most hype thing in the world. We were watching every dunk. I kept yelling out, boom, boom, boom. I don't even watch basketball now. I'm not like Joe Sports, but I love the dunk competition because I love to watch them throw it down and do things I could never do. But what got me going so much was Michael Jordan. They talk about this rivalry, rivalry between Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins in the slam dunk competitions in the 80s. 80s kids, are you with me? Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight reel, versus the greatest of all time, which is Michael Jordan. And when Michael Jordan is down, he has to get at least 48 points to win the slam dunk competition, and he jumps from the foul line, tongue out, head back, 
ball back and just soars like an angel <laughs> through the air and slams it down. How can you not yell at your TV? How can you not say God is good when you see something like that? He's the greatest of all time. No one can ever argue about it. If you say LeBron is the greatest, Kobe's the greatest, all Michael Jordan has to do is put his hands by his face and show you his rings and you will know that you are to bow down. That's it. The only thing you can say about Michael Jordan is stuff about his personal life. You can say, oh, he's a gambler. Oh, he's a bad husband. Oh, okay, it doesn't affect the fact that he is the greatest basketball player who has ever lived. Daniel knew that, not about Michael Jordan, but about excellence. He was a prophet. He probably did know that. Daniel knew about excellence. Daniel knew that there's no argument for excellence. There's no substitution for excellence. Even in his evil context, even when he was a slave, even when he had nothing, he knew he had an excellent God. You and I, we have an excellent God. We have an excellent salvation. We have an excellent creation. So we serve our God with excellence. At your job, pursue excellence. And your family, pursue excellence. Not for excellence's sake, for your name's sake. Because God is excellent. That value is in our church. We're always going to strive for excellence because we serve a culture who does not honor the God that we honor, obviously, who does not ascribe to the things that we ascribe to. But God's word says it really clear. In Romans 16, 19, it says, be excellent at what is good, but be innocent of evil. For so long, our church has done the opposite. Not our church, the church. We have been really excellent at having a bully pulpit. We've been really excellent at being mediocre. We want to be excellent at what is good, excellent at loving, excellent at reaching people, because we know there's no argument for excellence. You might hate us, but you can't deny it. Daniel knew that the only way that they were going to trip him up, these guys who didn't want him to be governor, he was about to be made over these other three governors, and they said, we have to get Daniel out of here, is if they trip him up on his excellence. They said this in verse 5. They said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God, unless they go to his personal life, unless they say, you know what? We know by Daniel's character, by Daniel's years, he will never offend his God. So we're going to hit him right there because we don't want Daniel to rule over us. These three men, they went to King Darius and they said, King Darius... You're such a good king. You're such a wise king. And like all kings of that day, he aspired to be a god like the kings before him. He aspired to have people worship him. So they said, King Darius, you know what you should do? You should write a law that says we have to worship you. Everyone has to worship you. Everyone has to worship you. For 30 days, no one can pray to their god. No one can bow down. But everyone needs to pray to you. And if they don't do it, they're going to be thrown to the lions. So when you stroke the king's ego, he says, that, that is a great idea. He's just thinking about himself. He's thinking about how it would make him feel. Yeah, sounds great. Pray to me. Just like the king before me, build an idol to me. And that's fine. When he did that, he used his ring to seal it. That means in that culture, no one could repeal the law, not even the most powerful man on earth. He sealed it with his ring. No one else would pray to him. I mean, no one else would pray to anything else but him, and he couldn't revoke it. Immediately, Daniel knew it, and he's faced with a choice, who he's going to offend. We're faced with a choice in our culture now. Do we honor God above else, or do we bow down to everything else? There's only one way. How many of us have ever spent time in a retirement home here? Here, Limerick Campus, put your hands up, Plymouth Meeting. Ever spent time in a retirement home? It's a sobering place to go. 
The Bible says that it's better to go in the house of mourning than it is the house of laughter. It kind of puts things into perspective about your life and about the things that maybe you and I spend time and money on, the things that we pursue, that none of it all really matters. So last Sunday night was Father's Day, uh, and we had the privilege of going up and seeing my grandfather. So me and my wife and my kids and my brother and his son, we got to spend time with my grandmother uh, and grandfather, and it was good. We went out to eat. Uh, and then we're uh, taking my grandpa back to his room that he shares now with his grandmother. I mean, with, with my grandmother there. That would be crazy. <laughs> You're so old. <laughs> and we just started talking about whatever, and I was kind of thanking my, uh, thanking my grandpa for letting us spend time with him and kind of, just kind of thanking him uh, for the life that, that he's lived. Uh, I haven't always lived close to my grandfather. They only moved to this area uh, in the last two years. So just kind of thanking him for the for the legacy that he's left of knowing Jesus. He's followed Jesus uh, for almost his whole life. And my grandpa began to say something to me. Uh, he's, he's, he turns 89 in a couple days on July 4th, and he said, you know, my grandma's sitting there, and he said, uh, I don't know how, how much more time I have. You've ever heard your grandparents say that? It's, a, uh, it's pretty tough. I don't know how much more time I have. Now, he knows Jesus, so his hope is secure. But he says, I don't know how much time I have. I only hope uh, that that she, pointing to my grandma, hope she goes before me. Um, just imagine, imagine that life, and I'll explain to you the reason he said it, and as it relates to Daniel. Um, 89 years old, just imagine the life you live. You're born in 1926. Uh, a couple years later, and three years later, 1929, the Great Depression hits. You're in a household with seven boys in Detroit. You scrape together any food you have. Every family has a garden. You do what you can do. How do you feed all those mouths when the greatest economic crisis of the modern age hits? So you live through that, and just when that ends, World War II breaks out. So when he's 17, he joins the Marines. When I'm 17, I play Sega Genesis. I drive my Ford Escort around. I try to listen to gangster rap music in the middle of Lancaster County because I want to think I'm tough. My grandfather, at age 17, is storming beaches in Okinawa seeing his friends die all around him, spending years at sea away from his family, fighting for his country so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have today. Comes home, gets married, small ceremony, they elope. Think about a life that you raise boys, you work a job, you work for four, for, I don't know, 40, 50 years, you retire after that. You go into ministry. As a retired man, you take a church and you preach to people and you invest in their lives. You see your health kind of break down. The things you used to do, you can't do anymore. You used to like golf, you can't golf anymore. You used to run. When I was a little kid, my grandpa could crush me in a race. We'll see that slow down by age and disease. You see the wife who you knew, you had all these memories with 70 years of marriage now. You see her memory slowly being erased day by day by the disease that is Alzheimer's. So all she has left is the former days, but now she can't even leave her room for fear that everything is new and everything is different. So you look at her and you see, she's fading away. I hope she goes first because I don't want her to be alone in this unfamiliar place. I want her to go be with Jesus and then I'll deal with being alone. There's Daniel. Daniel's at the window of his place. Daniel's not a young man. The story that I heard when I was a kid that Daniel was young, that he's strong, that he's this brave man to find the king. Really, that isn't true. Daniel's much like my grandfather. Daniel's an old man. Daniel's hardened by the years. Daniel's a man who's familiar with loneliness. You see, when he was taken from his home, when I say he was castrated, what that means literally is that he was castrated, he has no hope of a family. 
He has no hope of a wife. He has no hope of companionship. Even the things that we take for granted, Daniel's never had. Daniel has a life of hardship. Daniel has no one to talk to. Daniel has no one who worships his God now. Can you picture Daniel alone? Can you picture him by himself figuring out whether he's going to defy his king and get thrown to the lions? Here we go into the fire once again. Looking back in his home, the Bible says he turned his face towards Jerusalem. That's the house that he's left. That's the parents and brothers and sisters who died, who were killed by the kingdom he serves. That's the wife and kids he never had. He could hate his kingdom. He could defy them. He could turn his fist up. But what does Daniel do? Because he understands God's character. Because he understands God's provision. He understands that God's protection perseveres. He sets his face like flint towards the city. And he says, you know what? I don't care who I offend. Because this has to do with my God who has kept me safe year after year after precious year. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to give glory and thanks to God. Give thanks to God. What perspective is this? Who is this man who gives thanks to God? He's had everything taken from him. Everything. And he chooses to give thanks. What are you thankful for? You're thankful because you're alone? You're thankful because you're a slave and now you're a king? But you're about to die. God's protection always accomplishes God's purpose. You can't really know the protection of God unless you need the protection of God. It's true. Congratulations to those of us today who are broken. Congratulations to those of us who are lonely. The Bible says, blessed are the meek for they will see the kingdom of God. If you're in that lowly position today, we have good news. God has protection for you. He has refuge in his wings I believe that the words of the prophet David were ringing through the ears of Daniel. He said, whom have I in heaven but you now, God? There is nothing on earth that I desire. See, something happens when you begin to give thanks and glory to God. Something incredible happens in your spirit in the midst of unforeseen circumstances, when cancer comes, when divorce comes, when, when someone dies. When you lose your job and you have nothing left, something incredible happens only from God when you begin to give thanks and glory. Listen to this. It talks about Abraham in the book of Romans. It says, without becoming weak in faith, he, comp- he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead as he was about 100 years old. With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. But giving glory to God, he grew strong in faith. He did not waver. He knew his body was going to be wasted away. Daniel knew that either way he's going to die, whether it's by the lions or whether it's by old age. We have one thing certain in this life, and that's death. But we do not waver in faith, but we're strong in faith. As we give glory to God, God increases our faith in spite of what happens to our body. How does this look for you? Really, practically. At the Plymouth Meeting Campus, how does this look for you? When your marriage is falling apart, when you're addicted to drugs and you can't stop, how does this look for you? Are you strong in faith or do you run to the one thing that kills you? See, the report of Daniel's disobedience was quickly reported and Daniel knew it. Daniel chose to pray to his God. I want you to jump with me to verse 13. 
These guys who were trying to call for Daniel's death said this is the king. Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. But when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. He wanted to save Daniel. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said, Remember, your majesty, that according to our law, the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. You can't change the law no matter how hard you try. You can't save Daniel. So the king said to Daniel, May your God, who you serve continually, rescue you. Everyone knew of Daniel's face. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace. He didn't eat, he didn't take entertainment, and he couldn't sleep. The old man, much like my grandfather, now goes to the pit. Face, body hardened by the years, by hardship, understanding the faithfulness of God, understanding the reality of lines and what lines are created to do. So he faces his death. Does this look like God's protection to you? I mean, if you think about it honestly, couldn't Daniel easily say, God, where were you? Where were you when I was taken? Where were you when I was made a slave? Where were you when they changed my name? He wasn't Daniel for a time. His name meant the prince of Bel, a demon god. Where were you when they changed my name? Where were you when you took the hope of every future? You allowed it, God. Is that how you are when you face trial? God, where were you when I lost my job, when my husband left? God, where were you when I got cancer? God says, I'm right here. I'm preserving you for a purpose. Daniel understood that the empire that he lived in was his mission field and not his home. Our culture we live in, church, is our mission field, and it's not our home. Romans says it like this. See, there's always a time for God to move in your life. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. What that means, I think, in our plain language is that when we were most helpless, right, when everything looked lost, when we had no strength left, God chose to show his power through his son, Jesus. We need to understand, lastly, that God's protection endures. It does not end. It has no end. God's infinite and outside of time. God's protection endures. Daniel 6.19 says this, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent an angel and he shut the mouth of his lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted his God. Imagine the anguish of this king and his friend. The king knows that he's powerless. The stone was put in place there so nothing could get in and nothing could get out. According to our world's knowledge, Daniel was going to die and die a horrible death being torn apart by lions. The stone and the ring sealing it signified that unless God, this God that you serve, this God that we don't know about, that we don't honor, that we don't understand, unless he does something, you're going to die. King gets up in the morning and says, Daniel, 
Daniel, my friend, are you alive? He doesn't expect Daniel to be alive. There's lions in there. Can you imagine the joy of Daniel? The faithfulness that he's seen over years and years and years and years of God's protection and now once again preserving him for a purpose. King, I'm fine. God has preserved me. God has sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions because I've been found innocent in his sight. Daniel knows the words of King David that were written years before him. It says this. This is what David says about God. David says, May all kings of the earth bow down to him and nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out and the afflicted who have no one to help. He takes pity on the weak and the needy. And he saves the needy from death. That's us today, church. He rescues them from oppression and violence for precious. For precious is there blood in his sight? 500 years before Jesus, this man understood the faithfulness of God that his blood was precious in the sight of God. How much more precious is yours? How much more purposeful is yours? Can you just take that in for a second? We don't serve a God who just loves. We don't just serve a God who endures. We don't just serve a God who protects. We serve a God who says he so loves. He so loves. Not just loves. He so loves. He says that you are precious. He doesn't count your sins against you on account of Jesus Christ. He says that you and I, we are so loved. So he is our protection, that our blood is not spilled in his sight, that every day that we have is in his hands, that everything that happens in our life can be used for a purpose, that all your hurt, that all your pain, that all your addiction, that all your brokenness, he can not only heal it, but he can make it new. What would cause the king of the world at that time to give praise to his God, to give praise to the God of Daniel? Did it take Daniel being smart? No. Did it take Daniel being eloquent in his words? No. Did it take Daniel being strong? No. It took Daniel being broken. It took Daniel being insignificant. It took Daniel feeling unworthy. He was a slave. He was from the wrong people group. It just took trust. Daniel trusted his God. He was unwavering in his commitment to his God. And that's how God works in your life, in my life. He doesn't use the things of the world that we use. He uses the foolish things of the world. He uses the unworthy things of the world. He uses the broken vessels of the world. Congratulations to the broken. You're ready to be used by God today. At our Limerick campus, at our Plymouth Meeting campus, you are ready to be used to God if you're broken. If you're not broken, God really can't do anything with you. Across our campuses right now, let's stand up. Let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads. And let's God do something in response to this. Let God do what only God can do. And I would ask that no one moves right now, that no one opens our doors at any of our campuses, that this moment is separate. We call it holy. Holy just means separate. That this moment is separate. Because when God's word goes out, when we hear from God's word, it never comes back empty. And I know that there's people in this room right now who are bound and slaved by sin. That's what God's word says. We're not slaves to an empire, but before Jesus, we are slaves to sin. 
We are a slave to addiction. We are a slave to old patterns of thinking and slaves to relationships and slaves to patterns of behavior that are not from God. But through Jesus Christ, in a moment, he doesn't fix you. He doesn't give you a makeover. He makes you new. And that moment is now. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, please don't take this for granted. We're going to let you go in a second. The piano's playing. That's how you know it's going to be over. But before that happens, let God do some work and let God use you. Right now, I want you who follow Christ to begin to pray that God would work on the hearts of people who don't know Christ, work on the hearts of broken people who are far from God, who are lost and who are hurting, who feel like Daniel, who feel insignificant, who feel like they are bound and weighted down. See, there's a stone rolled over the pit of Daniel and the lions, signifying that nothing could get out. There was a stone rolled over the grave of Jesus Christ that he could never get out. But what happened was, God raised him up so he defeated sin, death, hell on the grave on your account and on my account. So we don't have to live in our brokenness anymore, but we are made new in Christ. Not a future, not a past, but now and new. He died, he rose again, and he accomplished everything in that moment. That is a moment that you and I, our lives, hinge on. You have to do something with Jesus today. You have to. He lived, and he died, and he rose again. So he's, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is who he says he was. He is our redeemer, and he calls us precious. Church, hear me today if you're broken. He calls you precious. He calls you so loved that I believe when he was on that cross that he didn't see anything else in his eyes but you. My sin put him there. My brokenness put him there. It's a weight I can't bear. I can't do anything to make myself right in God's eyes. I could follow every law and every commandment and I'll break him over and over and over again. That's why it's called grace because he accomplished something you and I could never accomplish. He gave a sacrifice that you and I could never give. Our victory is now in him, and that victory is at hand, church. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, your campus pastors are at the front, Pastor Bob and Pastor Jordan. I want you right now, church, to begin to pray that someone next to you, that someone in front of you or behind you who is far from God, that they would take this opportunity to seek God, to respond to God. God is moving on our hearts, God, and we just want to respond to you. Now is our opportunity in our time, church. If that's you today, if you have never made the decision to follow Jesus, if you never have, someone brought you here, you came here broken, thank God you can leave whole because Jesus will make you new. This is your opportunity. If you've fallen away from God, this is your opportunity. There is always, always, always a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. His mercies are new every day. Now is your time. Don't be ashamed, but I want you to be bold. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, his word is clear, you're saved. So if you're with me right now at Limerick and at Plymouth Meeting, this is our time. I just want you to lift your hands with me and say, I'm praying with you. I need Jesus. If that's you in this house today, Limerick or Plymouth Meeting, I want you to lift your hand with me and I need this Jesus. I need to become new. If that's you in this house right now, begin to lift your hand. I see your hand right there. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand right there. Let's begin to clap. I see your hand right there, sir. I see your hand, ma'am. Let's begin to lift our hands all in this place. I'm going to give you another minute because God is moving. Let's give you honor and glory to his name.
We are seeing lives being made new right now at the name of Jesus. One more moment. Don't hesitate and don't wait. Your start is not tomorrow. Your start is right now. He will make you new right now. If that's you in this place, at any of our campuses, lift your hands. Church, let's pray. God, we honor you. It's by your power that we do all things. Your word is perfect. Your love is perfect. We thank you for it. We thank you for this love that we could never earn that makes us new today. We thank you for the story of Daniel and teaching us how to live tied to you in a culture that doesn't know you, that we will reach people who are far from you because you are good and you work through us. Use us today as broken vessels made whole because of you. Father, we love you and we honor you. What you started here today in people's lives, we ask that will never end, that they will become rooted and planted and grow in your church, that they would grow in your church, that they would have families who know you. And we speak these things prophetically. They would have families and children who don't know the patterns of abuse, who don't know the addiction, who don't know the broken marriages. But because of what you accomplished today, God, everything is new. You're awesome that way. So we give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. All of our campuses, let's give God some glory today.